0: Hi, I'm here live at the AFCC conference, at Zoe Durand, I'm your interviewer for the Inside Family Law podcast um, and I have a repeat customer, I'm here talking with Stephen Page, he was in the original Inside Family Law book They um, talked a little bit about family law and his own experiences with divorce and separation. And now um, you're here at the conference as a presenter, Stephen.
1: Yes, I was a presenter, Zoe, and it's, it's good, to, good to see you. Good oh, to see you First well. time to actually meet you.
0: Yeah, we've spoken before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, good to see you. Um, I wanted to speak with you about, look, I did see that you've had, had a baby. And,
1: yep, and, you know, and as of today, she is four weeks and one day old. My, so, my baby daughter, Elizabeth.
0: I know when we interviewed, we were talking about surrogacy. Um, you know, you in our interview interviewing the book. And, and I think you mentioned that Elizabeth
1: is a, um, was also through surrogacy. That's yeah, she, was, she yeah. was born through surrogacy. So my, my husband, Mitchell, and I, when we got together, he said to me, well, I want to have a baby. And I thought, well, I've got two grown-up kids and I've gone through divorce and I've paid child support and I've had all the bitterness that goes with a broken marriage and I'm older than you are and do I really want to go through that? And then I thought, it's really unfair of me... To say to him, we can't have a child when I know that for myself this was an innate part of me. That if I didn't have a child then something wasn't right with my life. And I thought that was particularly unfair of me. So I thought, okay, I'm on board the train. We'd better get get moving. And we had um, dramas. Um, But the the first thing that happened to us was that some years ago our our surrogate um, who lives in Brisbane... Uh, said to us on Christmas Day uh, that she'd had her daughter, didn't want to have any more and wanted to have our child and that she loved the two of us. And we both cried. We both cried. And my brain at that stage went like one of those old-fashioned washing machines, you know, the top-loading washing machines, because not only did I have that thinking, this overwhelming uh, joy uh, um, of generosity from her... But the other part of me, which was, oh, this happens to my clients. So it was extraordinary having both of those um, emotions at the same time. The journey was um, not a straightforward one. We uh, had medical issues with our surrogate. We had medical issues with our egg donor, who was um, Mitch's uh, f- friend, uh, not known her um, all the way through. Um, and we sorted those things out, and then the clinic had a change of policy due to legal advice which meant that no longer would we get the Medicare rebate. Now that added about 10 grand to the bill so we said oh well um, we're going to another clinic. And at that stage I had a good working relationship with, with the first clinic, I still do, um, but it was a bit um, tricky there for, for a couple of seconds. And we get to the second clinic, we start, start over on the process again and the first pregnancy was a miscarriage and you just feel like you've had a kick in the guts it's just just awful just awful and I've had clients who have had a miscarriage um, through surrogacy and they just said that's it we're out of here and that's your instinct and doctor says well you know 90% of the time or 99% of the time there's some problem with the quality of the embryo it's it's not the surrogate you hear that but another part of you goes yeah but it didn't work so there's this little gnawing away at the back of the brain. You go, OK, well, we'd better go on with it again. And the second one was an ectopic pregnancy. And when that was confirmed on the, on the Monday morning, the surrogate and I were with with our doctor. And it required urgent surgery that day because if the egg or the embryo grew any bigger in her fallopian tube, because there's an ectopic pregnancy the egg's in the fallopian tube and it gets caught there, It'd grow and kill her. It could happen any time. So she had to be operated on straight away. And I said to her, it doesn't matter whether we have a child or not. That's secondary. I just couldn't imagine anything bad happening to you. I couldn't live with myself. And anyway, so I stayed with her at the hospital all day and I was at the hospital waiting for hours. Brisbane's such a small place that Suddenly, everyone I seem to know in the world walked past. I wasn't waiting very long at the hospital, as it turns out, because everyone, oh, oh, hello, how are you? Oh, yeah, OK, well, i better have a chat to you. It was one of those strange things that you don't ever expect to occur That's in a hospital. That's never happened to me in a hospital. No, that. it's <laughs> never happened to me in a hospital before, but it happened to me that day. And uh, anyway, so the third attempt at pregnancy uh, worked really well, and... My baby daughter, or our baby daughter, Elizabeth, was born uh, four weeks and one one day ago. And the most extraordinary thing about all of that was that uh, I had complained to international colleagues about the UN Special Rapporteur on the sale and sexual abuse of children and the use of children in child pornography, that I thought that she had got uh, her view about surrogacy was completely wrong, and that we needed to, as a group, of um, surrogacy lawyers that we needed to inform the world about how surrogacy actually works. And as a result of that, the idea was put, well, we better organise a conference. So suddenly the eight of, us, eight of us got together and we organised this conference, which was run by the University of Cambridge, the International Academy of Family Lawyers, the American Bar Association, held in Cambridge in June. The other seven organisers went. I didn't. Because I'm about to have a baby through surrogacy. The irony of it all. That's kind of bizarre. Isn't that, isn't that funny? <laughs> like, and we is? had we had 250 um, invited invited attendees, experts on surrogacy. And we had... Um, uh, but John, you're living John, it. You're living yeah, it, I'm so living it. But, it? but John, Pascoe, John Pascoe was there and Justice um, Bennett from the Family Court and Judge Harland, who, of course, is um, running this event um, today. And, that, and they were there. I was not. Uh, because um, I was at home. And, of course, I'd had the discussion beforehand, well, you know, I've started this conference, I was the one who started it all, and on the organising committee, and I really have a a duty to go there. It was explained to me that I would never, I just want to repeat that word, never be forgiven if if I were in Cambridge or away when our baby daughter was born. And I said, well, never's a relative concept, you'll, you'll get over it eventually if that happens. No, no. Anyway, as they say, there are seven stages of grieving. I've now gone to acceptance, happy acceptance, that I shouldn't have gone to Cambridge. Um, our baby was born and uh, it was at a hospital in Brisbane which has a surrogacy policy. And I've had a number of clients go there. It's a, it's a very large maternity hospital. Uh, our surrogate was in one room and the two of us were in the other. He got the bed... And I got the bench because, even though the bench is pretty uncomfortable, because I'm tall, he's short, he could sleep on the bed and I could sleep on the bench with my feet over the head. Whereas if, if we were to get, if I was to be on the bed, we'd have to get some hospital staffer from somewhere to get the bed extension. And by this stage, our baby had been born at 1.17 in the morning. We'd started at 9 o'clock the previous morning and we'd got to our room at 530 30 on the Friday morning. So from Thursday morning to Friday morning, we were just utterly exhausted, at which point, of course, we got to this room 15 minutes later, in comes a nurse to talk about. Here's all this paperwork to sign. That night, our surrogate was discharged to go home. Medically, she was fine to go. Problem? The problem was our baby was not. And it was realised that she was the lawful parent. And there was no discussion at all, despite my best efforts, that my husband, being the genetic parent, and both of us being intended parents, he, at least, was clearly a parent within the Masson and Parsons Mm -hmm. test. You try and discuss this with a midwife, or the midwife's superior, or the first executive, or the second executive, and then the third executive decided it um, on advice from a hospital lawyer, who said that our surrogate was the only parent. And therefore, it was advisable, which meant, don't do anything else, or we might have to involve the department. That's, that's, that's the message I got, even though the word advisable was the only word that was used, that she not leave. She was hysterical. Um, she was crying. I felt as though she'd been violated. She couldn't go home. Um, our surrogate had been away from home for nine days for medical reasons, and her daughter had visited her um, every day for about 15 minutes or most of those days. She just wanted to be home with her daughter mm-hmm. and couldn't be there. And, of course, she said, it's not my child. She's not my child. She's their child or our child. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was as though you were talking to a wall. It's a great experience. You might feel better for it. But will you change the Wall's opinion about you? No, you won't. There was nothing that could be done and we had to, um, had to deal with it. I've since written to the hospital happily setting out to them my concerns about what happened so that next time um, the lawyer might actually look at um, the law and take into account what happened in Masson and even if it were otherwise, if they, if they were firmly of view that she was the only parent, that they had... Uh, some kind of process, so no one has to go through that ever again. So
0: how did you escape in the end?
1: Well, we left um, the following day. We left the following day, and as hospitals say, um, you'll leave at about 9.30 in the morning. We left about 3.30 in the afternoon. My father had a maxim which was, hospital time is not real time. And we experienced that maxim (laughs) in practice. Um, So, she's been home ever since, and we'll be going through the process of applying uh, for a parentage order. We've considered ourselves to be the parents. Our surrogate, of course, considers herself not to be a parent. Um, Before we went into this process, I was always of the view that the post-birth process works, namely, wait for the child to be born, then get the order, and as we have in Queensland, New South Wales, for example, have an assessment through the process Having seen this, experienced this, I think, no, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be doing what the uh, England and Wales and Scottish Law Commissions have said, that provided you go through the ticker box, you've complied with all these specific requirements of the statute, then at birth, the intended parents are recognised as parents automatically, without the need to go to a court later on to validate that. If something falls apart between the surrogate and the intended parents that's different but if it's and if it's not compliant that's different but if it's compliant and everyone's happy with it tick 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 way you go and if if we'd had that situation under our statutes here or in Brisbane um, we wouldn't have had that situation it would have been loud and clear to the to the hospital we were the parents and she was not
0: and they've experienced it firsthand. I yep. think that's given you a valuable
1: insight into how things can really work yep. and, or how things are not working. Yeah, and, and you know, the funny thing is, I'd never seen it with clients before. And the hospital said this was, and they'd done quite a few surrogacy births, they've never had a situation where the surrogate wanted to leave before the babies. I've had one surrogate who left before the baby and it wasn't in that hospital, and there was no drama with it. Absolutely no drama. And what was extraordinary about that hospital was that they weren't going to allow the intended mother to stay in the hospital in the first place as a parent. But when the child was born, the midwife said, oh, we're going to make room. And they they changed everything, and then they were even more flexible. Uh, Most clients have experienced the child being handed over in the hospital car park. We didn't have that because the child was in our care, our baby daughter was in our care from the very beginning. And the funny thing was, about a week after our child was born, the ABC decided to do a story about um, the Cambridge conference. And they'd been in contact with me and said, oh, you may know something about surrogacy. And then when I explained to them, I was the initiator of the conference, and then I said to them, but I couldn't be there because we were having a baby. Suddenly they wanted to know about the baby. And then the most extraordinary thing happened uh, a week after, about a week after she was born. Suddenly there's an ABC story. We're in the story. There's a photo of the two of us. Um, with, with Elizabeth, and I post that on my Facebook page and I get trolled immediately.
0: Oh,
1: no. Yeah, I have a woman who is, uh, hates gay men having children, hates surrogacy, and decide to troll me. Mm.
0: Well, they call them trolls for a reason. <laughs> they call them
1: trolls for a reason. Thankfully, all those comments were taken down, but it left a bad taste in the mouth.
0: So, what are your thoughts about all this going forward in terms of law reform, surrogacy, from your own personal first-hand experience?
1: Well, I think the uh, law commissions in the UK got it right. Mm. I th- you know, our our laws are model on the UK laws, mm. and uh, in our laws there is a there is a provision that says that typically you can't apply for an order until about a month after the child is born, and then six months after the child is born is the upper limit. That six months, by the way, came about by a completely perverse uh, um, uh, process. It was as a result of a member of the House of Commons responding to a constituency inquiry. No, no logic to it. There's no sense to it. But then became part of the English law or the, the UK law. And, of course, we we said well, the ACT was the first to do it. We looked at that and, went, oh, that's a good law. We'll copy that. But that, that, that's that... That's the story
0: behind the reason That's about, the story yeah.
1: behind how that, how that came about, so... I think that the approach, that it's automatic, um, is very sensible. Um, we see that happening currently in Ontario and British Columbia and Illinois, and and with pre-birth orders in the United States to a degree um, right across the US.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your personal story. I mean, obviously, most people, at least in the family or community, know who you are, and. You know that you're you're well known, you know, in that community as a as a lawyer in this area, and um, and obviously with a special expertise in surrogacy. But it's really nice that you've shared your own personal experience um, about that as well with me today. That's really generous of you. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you so much. You've been listening to me, Zoe Durand, um, chatting with Stephen Page, who is a family lawyer in Brisbane, and also proud parent to Elizabeth. Is that right? Absolutely, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yep. I got name wrong. There you go. Proud parent to Elizabeth. (laughs)